You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Hi, this is John Walton, voice of the Washington Capitals, and you're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Honestly, I had already uh, confessed to some of my campaign team and some of my family members. Mm-hmm. I said, if it didn't work out this time, I honestly didn't know what I was going to do with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading I was reading up on that first campaign and you were within hundreds of yeah. votes of winning. That was insane, like how close it was. It was 73 votes um, and 147 people within the city of Fredericksburg were given the wrong ballots for an adjacent district. Mm, mm, mm. You were kidding me. Yeah. So we took it to court and the judge threw it out. He called it a garden variety issue and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and so uh, I, I legit, that, that time after the election ended, all the way up until January, thought I was living through one big episode of House of Cards. <laughs> which is okay, depending on which character you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, surely the uh, the the landscape there in Richmond is a lot different now than it yes. was, and that it would have been had you, when you know, had you been elected when you first ran. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is uh, actually got to be kind of gratifying. Yeah, if if we had, let's just say hypothetically, we won um, two years ago, uh, we would have been in a fifty fifty house split, um, and that had not happened. Um, and over, I think they said 30 years in the Virginia General Assembly, where we would have had to have a power share agreement where, um, and, and just so you know how the House of Delegates runs in, in Virginia, if there is a vote that lands on 50-50 lines, we have no tiebreaker in the House. So any vote that comes to a 50-50 vote, it kills the measure. Wow. Um, so that would have been a very, very interesting um, landscape, as you said, to be in. Uh, two years ago. <laughs> this is called Pilot Radio. You're listening to Mike on the Mic on GGR Pirate Radio. I'm full. And yet I know if I stop eating this, I'll regret it. It's poorly clever. Make a wish. Wish you weren't so fucking awkward, bud. This is called Pilot Radio. And now, your host, Mike Luxford. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really cool, too, because this is now um, and mind you, as you can tell by the name of the uh, the website and the podcast, you know, the Great Geek Refuge, we don't normally delve into the political very much. And <laughs> coincidentally enough, you're actually the second delegate um, from the state of Virginia that I've talked to who has won, because back in 2017, I actually got to speak to Danica Roem. Awesome. And yeah, and she she was just fantastic. And <laughs> yeah, like, I, and again, congratulations to both of you. But like. Um, kind of informal start here, but let me uh, go ahead and introduce you. Guys, it's another episode of Mike on the Mic on GGR Pirate Radio. I have got a super special episode for you this evening. Uh, joining me in the hosting duties, I have the one and only Ulysses E. Campbell. 
<laughs> well, Mike, you're too kind. Thank you. Of course. But more importantly is our guest. He is the delegate for my area here in Stafford slash Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, in the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, it is Mr. Delegate Joshua Cole, who has been so very kind in joining us on the podcast. So, you know, an internet round of applause here for Delegate Joshua Cole. Oh, hey, House House, House District 28. You got to throw that House, in there. House District 28. <laughs> I've, well, I never you, needed... Of course, of course. I never knew that that was our district. Now I know that we're House District 28, so... <laughs> Already an informative interview. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say first, Josh, um, one of the things that sh- that struck me immediately was I was watching one of your Facebook lives while we've all been stuck in this uh, quarantine. And I noticed in your we'll call it your office or your man cave that mm-hmm. it was adorned with various comic book action figure um <laughs> pieces like all over the place and i was like oh i gotta talk to this dude like he's like right up our alley so i am a huge marvel fan um for me my life was centered around marvel and star wars when i was growing up so either x-men and star wars or the avengers and so the first thing i did when i finally got my own place when i didn't have a roommate or have to worry about roommates i made my own office and I plastered all of my Marvel Legend figures and pop figures all over the wall. <laughs> well, let me tell you, so you, you just made a huge friend here with Mike Lunsford. Oh, yeah. This guy is major Star Wars geek. <laughs> wow, I love it. I don't it. know what you're talking about. There's no way that I have a lightsaber sitting right next to us as we record this podcast. There's, there's no possible way that I have it and that I would be picking it up right now to assemble it so that I can make the sound effect. Nah, there's no way. Only passively Star Wars fan, you know? Um, so it's one of those things, too, where, like, I mean, again, again, congratulations on your win in the, uh, the 2019 election. But I feel like this would have been a landslide if people had known more about this. Like, if you had been like, hey— Josh, Joshua Cole, um, the the 35th member of the Avengers. Like people would have been like, what? Yeah, they would have. Yeah, there's no way you would have. They wouldn't even have been close. Um, but like in in all in all seriousness, with what's going on in our world, I know that things are ooh, tumultuous. Is the is is putting it lightly with all the things that are going on. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do before I ask our first question here is I wanted to. Um, applaud you because you've been very visible with all that's going on. Like when the protests were going on downtown, you were there and you made it known that you were there. It was not something where, because from from a layman standpoint, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing your people that represent you kind of disappear when stuff like this happens. And that is the exact opposite of what you've done. So I want, I definitely want to applaud you for that. Well, this I always have a statement that I say that this is just my reasonable service. Um, and I always try to make it clear. I tell when I when I, when I was down there, I was asking young people um, and the protesters. Number one, I was trying to get some of them to get home because there were people down there that I knew and I was trying to get them to be a voice of reason and get home. But as I've come to have a relationship with some of the, the people who have been protesting, I'll tell them all the time. You know, I'm not going to protest with you because the way I protest is by writing legislation. But when you see me out here, I'm out here listening to hear your concerns and why you're protesting. And as I've been sharing with many of my colleagues in the House, in the state Senate, and even the local elected officials, when there are protests and riots in your area, that means there's a group of people who feel like they're not heard. 
And what are you as an elected official going to do about it? Are you going to listen to them? Are you going to be there where they are? Or are you going to sit and be a keyboard warrior and talk about how they're in the wrong and they shouldn't be doing what they're doing? Yeah, and and absolutely. And and that was something um, – actually, yesterday, we decided after we had dinner, we wanted to go downtown and we wanted to get uh, some ice cream at mm-hmm. a Abner, Abner B's. And mm-hmm. um, my son was with us, my 11-year-old son. And he's like, hey, can we go see the protests? And I was like, are you, you sure you want to do this, man? Like, you're 11. This is really not something you have to do. He's like, no, I really want to see it. I want to see what they're protesting. And we walked down there, and as everybody was was chanting, like he was chanting along too. And then he looked at me and he's like, "Can I can I march in the protest too?" And one of the guys that was marching like came over and handed him a sign. He's like, "Come on, little guy." And like I asked him later, I was like, "Why did you want to protest?" He's like, "Because I agree with what they're doing, and I think it's the right thing." And I was like, blown away. I was like, for an eleven year old man, that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And like, it's th- this particular topic for what's going on right now really seems to have it was like the the last straw because this is not the first time something like this has happened yeah in in your perspective with what's going on is this going to be the thing that makes the big change or is this going to be another one of those incidences unfortunately where we all get riled up and then it just kind of dissipates over a while yeah it is it is my prayer and my belief that this is the movement And the reason why I say that is because when I'm listening to people who are out protesting, yes, they're protesting about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Ahmaud Arbery, but they're protesting about so much more. And George Floyd was just the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, they're talking about inequities in the education system. We had a conversation with city council members and elected officials in the city of Fredericksburg yesterday with the protesters, and some were teachers. And some are students who are frustrated that they're not being taught black history or they have to wait until they get into the real world to find out about different things that happen or that different things were whitewashed. Or there are people who are frustrated with being college educated, having master's degrees and PhDs, but they're looked at funny because they walk into a boardroom in a suit, but they have they have dreads. So all of these issues people are, are, are frustrated about. And so I really believe that this is going to be the movement. And we're seeing young people who are leading the conversation. And I always say we need the elderly because they have the wisdom, but we need the young people because they have the strength and the tenacity to get through what we need to get done. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this. I'm I'm kind of in between. I'm I'm 38, so I'm not not <laughs> elderly, but I'm not like super young. But like I, I yeah. love I love seeing the younger generation stand up. I, I like my, my daughter is 21 and same thing. She's been, she's been going to protest. She's been very adamant about the way she feels about things. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see young people have a voice and not feel like it's just going to get drowned out because so many people that are in my generation group, that kind of weird millennial slash generation Xer, we feel like our voices just aren't heard anymore. And a lot of us are, are jaded and seeing yes. a younger generation not have that is, is just, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions here, but I'm not going to grill you, man. I know that you are <laughs> probably like super like busy with all the things that are going on. And it's probably just like weighing on you a lot to have to deal with these sorts of things. But one of the things that I saw was uh, some of the main focuses of your campaign. One of the mm-hmm. first ones was labor laws, like that you feel that the minimum wage in this area is just woefully inadequate. What kind of steps have you taken to try to fix this? Like, is, is this something, again, that, that we can see fixed soon, or is this going to be a, a long, hard fight? 
Well, I think for some issues, we, we still have our work cut out for us. <laughs> um, I'm excited that I was actually able to take one of the historic votes uh, to raise the state minimum wage. Um, and what we have to understand is the dichotomy of the General Assembly. There are uh, two different bodies in the Virginia General Assembly. There's the House of Delegates and then there's the State Senate. And what we typically see is that the House of Delegates is a little bit more progressive than the State Senate. And we as Democrats have control of both the House and the Senate. But there are a lot of measures that we get out of the House that we're really excited about, like, yeah, we're going to change lives. And it gets over to the Senate and it becomes watered down. So initially, we were raising the state minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2023, I believe. Now, don't quote me on that, but it was sooner than what was, <laughs> was about to get done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we were immediately going to go to $10 an hour um, by January. Starting in January, we were going to be at $10 an hour. By the time it got over to the Senate, um, they pushed raising the state minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2026. And then because of what happened with COVID, we pushed raising the state minimum wage up starting in January to $9. Ooh. So we still are going to get a state minimum wage. Um, we're still going to get to $15 an hour eventually. Um, but there were some watered down things. There were some, um, 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 some halting. And these are all issues that people in Virginia are going to have to deal with. Um, but on top of that, we, we did pass collective bargaining and giving the localities the option to allow uh, public workers in the localities to form and collective bargain. Um, and so hopefully we'll get the opportunity for teachers unions to form. Um, but, you know, the major focus for me was for someone who grew up um, with a mother who had to work two jobs. And even after I started working um, and having a nice job and then losing it and then struggling to work, um, even sleeping on my aunt's couch for a couple of months, we wanted to make sure that people who lived in Virginia, despite their zip code, were able to find a job and have a decent living. Um, and, you know, the arguments are, well, fast food restaurants and restaurants are for uh, college students. They don't need to make that amount of money. But as I'm walking through Fredericksburg, I see people who are over the age of 50 who are working at Castiglias. Yeah. I see people who are over the age of 50 working at McDonald's, working at America Buffet and working at Red Lobster. And they deserve to have a living wage. And that's why I fought the way I did for labor rights. Yeah. And and I, as again, as the father of a, a daughter who works. Um, yeah. Thank you for that fight, because like she works hard and. It's 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 always frustrating to hear that that kind of dust off of, oh, it's for kids like, OK, but it's not. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing if you've ever worked in retail, which unfortunately I did before I do doing what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. It's so frustrating to see corporate entities tell you, well, your people aren't worth a raise. So therefore hire somebody younger at a lower amount with no training and just train them like it. And all of the onus goes on you as management to somehow replace a, a an excellent employee. And that's why so many retail establishments are shutting down at a pretty steady pace now because yeah. they're, they're not keeping their best employees because they're moving on and finding other employment if they can. Yes. And, yeah. and I want to make it clear that when we talk about this is not to down or to uh, throw off on people who are in service industry, who are in retail yeah. and are working these these jobs because we need them. 
Mm-hmm. We need them when we go out to eat. We need them. We appreciate them. We need them to be in retail. But what we want these larger corporations to understand is just as much as we need them, they need them and they should be paying them well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yuli, I know you had a question because um, and actually Yuli and I were talking about this um, before before well, we brought you wait, on. Wait, wait, wait. But, but before before you pivot, I mean, I, I had actually <laughs> just wanted to, um, you know, sort of give some kudos because uh, it not it, with the labor. I mean, OK. Looking over uh, your legislative record, it's not just labor issues. I mean, you're looking at fair housing and gun Mm -hmm. violence and voting rights. So clearly Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that are important to you and you have been able to at least begin to address some of these. And I absolutely am sympathetic to what happens between the House of Delegates and the State Senate, because mm-hmm. as you rightly point out, you know, they, I mean, in, in some cases that's miles apart, but yeah. uh, particularly in terms of the uh, employee rights, because, you know, it, it's not just the minimum wage. I mean, you know, I noticed that, you know, you were, you know, fighting for municipal state employees too, you know, which, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I mean, you know, private employees, that's great. But it, it seems as if people who were actually working for, for the state, you know, hey, you know, they they got issues, too. And it's nice to know that the House of Delegates has not forsaken them in terms of, you know, what's going on. And I I know that a lot of the time there is an emphasis placed on the private sector. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what people are thinking about. And, you know, obviously here in, you know, state of Virginia, there are way more people who are employed by the private sector than there are (laughs) by the state. But still, you know, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. fact that you have not lost sight of that and forgotten them, you know, and, uh, and all those other things too, because they're, they're all critically important. And, you know, the fact that there, there is now the atmosphere to be able to take these on also, I, I just, I mean, I think it's great. And so, like I said, kudos to you for all of that. Well, uh, we, we, we just want to make sure one of the things that I ran on was the single mother who's worried about feeding her kids should feel safe, even because of a delegate she doesn't even know their name is still fighting for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a wonderful message, really. It, it truly is. Um, one of the things that we were looking at, because again, I kind of looked over some of the things that were like your big uh, points here, education. Mm-hmm. And I was I was shocked to see how low Virginia as a state ranked when it came to that, because I was I was publicly educated in Virginia, but then I forget that I graduated from high school in 2000. So yeah. <laughs> have things really changed that much in 20 years? I mean, that that it's we've we've fallen that much. I, I remember it, we were so highly ranked before and that it's it, is this a byproduct of I mean, I'm not I know it's a complicated issue, but like they talk about um, right now, they're talking about every single year you're seeing schools get less and less funding is is that why we're seeing this because there's such a such a focus on putting our funding towards police forces and making sure that they have like top of the line equipment like military grade stuff when i know the defund the police thing i know it's a complicated issue so i'm not like Mm -hmm. looking to delve into that too much but is that part of the issue that we're seeing here that education is just not a priority mike some of these are averages bear in mind yeah i personally i mean and you know no no slander against the southern part of the state. But I think that, hey, you know, because you're going to have your 
higher performing students and your higher performing schools and your lower performing mm-hmm. students and lower performing schools. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, these are, these are just the averages, you know, but yeah. there are still a lot of, uh, you know, really smart students that are coming out and very well-educated students that are coming out of the public education system in Virginia. So anyway, I'm just throwing that in for Joshua. <laughs> okay. Okay. Addresses so, your question. so to, to, to really what happened, you graduated in 2000, I graduated in 2009. Between those, in those nine year, that nine year time frame, we had the recession. Um, yeah. And that's when we started to see funding really start leaving the schools. Um, because we had to rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, and one of the biggest things that I ran on was returning funding for schools to pre-recession rates. Um, and what I'm finding out now is with how things are appropriated and where the money has been, and because it's been going in certain areas for so long, that's a really, really hard task to get accomplished. So what we're looking at primarily is, again, the slow diverting of funds from education to other areas. And you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and now you also have legislators who will tout and talk about how great education is, but their money isn't where their mouth is. When it comes time to voting on the budget or fighting for funding for education, they sweep it under the rug or they preach about how something else is greater than that. Yeah. Um, and so when you know, when it comes to doing these funding and making sure that money gets diverted to the schools, it's all about the votes in the House and it's all about the votes in the Senate. And while I think we have some great people who fight for education, um, even in this budget that we just passed, I was still a little disappointed that teachers only got a 3% raise this time and then a 5% raise this time. Um, and so I assure you that there were some teachers who had hoped in us that when we flipped the legislature, we were going to return a lot of funding. Um, and some of them were really disappointed. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't sit on the Appropriations Committee nor the Finance Committee, there wasn't much I could do about it. But I did tell the chair of appropriations and I did share my, tell my friends who serve on the appropriations committee um, that I have teachers that were not happy with how the budget looked out for them or did not look out for them uh, in actuality. Um, so what I think we need to do is moving forward, we have to identify that education is the great equalizer. You can be black, you can be white, you can be Latino, wherever you come from, but everybody should be receiving the same education no matter where you come from. That means if the students who live in England run should be afforded the same education as the students who live in Embry-Mill in Stafford County. Yeah. The students who live um, in, in Mayfield in Fredericksburg should receive the same type of education as the kids who live in Augustine in Stafford County. But we know that's not true. Because and a lot of times, and I still have to do more research in Virginia, but a lot of times what ends up happening is the funding for the school systems locally are attached to um, uh, uh, the tax rates for the area. Mm. So if there are a lot of taxes and there's a lot of money coming out of this neighborhood, of course, this school is going to have um, Chromebooks and, and better uh, you, tools for education in this particular school. But if the tax rates and the property values are low in this other neighborhood, <clears throat> there's not going to be a lot of money attached to send to that school. Yeah. So it is, I mean, it's not a cut and dry. Everybody gets the same thing because of the tax rates. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in looking over your history, 
mm-hmm. um, we were we were seeing, and it was something that um, I think was interesting. Is you have you didn't just go to school for like I, when I think of like politicians like going like what they would have degrees in, you know, like international studies or law or government, those sorts of things. But that's not where your degree is, correct? <laughs> it's not. I'm actually a college dropout. Oh, really? Uh, but I'm in the process of finishing my degree. So. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. But though. No, my so my studies were were actually in ministry. Okay. Um, I never thought that I was going to be in politics. You would have never convinced me if you would have told me when I was uh, at Liberty University that, uh, you know, nine years from now, you're going to be in the House of Delegates. I would have laughed in your face (laughs) 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 because in my mind, I was going to be the next T.D. Jakes or the next Kurt. Uh, but what I think ended up happening, and I love telling people that I went to Liberty University just to see the reflection on their face and how their faces turn. Well, we were going to ask you about that. This, is, this, was, this was the pivot. This was the pivot point. We wanted to ask about that because we did see that, and I was like, "He's and it, he went to Liberty." Shocking. Like, yeah, it yeah, was exactly. shocking. I mean, yeah. when I saw that, it was like, "Wait a minute!" I had to check Hold your up. party affiliation again. <laughs> So uh, initially, my mother sent me to Liberty, and we, we you know, we weren't too aware uh, of, of the Falwells and, and different things. So when I got to Liberty, I was like, oh, oh, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> um, and But I enjoyed it. I initially thought when I was going to Liberty, I was going to school to learn what I should believe. But the entire time at Liberty... I learned how to defend what I already believed. Um, And even as I've been gone, because keep in mind, when you're in a bubble, there are mentalities and thoughts that get attached to you. So there were things that we were being taught at Liberty that I flat out just disagreed with. And I was like, no, that ain't right. But then there was other things that I accepted that became a part of who I was. And the longer I've been away from Liberty, the more and more my mind is being illuminated that, oh, no, that... I can't believe I believe that. <laughs> um, and so when I was at Liberty, what ended up happening for me, I found out that as a, for me being a Christian and doing the work that I do in, in politics, that we have to have compassion for everybody, regardless of if we agree of their actions or what they do or what they look like or where they come from, we have to have compassion on everybody and give them the humili- the humanity they deserve. Um, and a lot of people didn't have that at Liberty. And I watched the hypocrisy of people who um, are Trump supporters now, that when I was at Liberty, they lambasted and would go in on Obama. And the things they're telling us as Democrats that we need to do now, they didn't afford President Obama during that time when I was at Liberty. Um, and just FYI, I voted for Barack Obama on Liberty's campus in 2012. So I know Jerry Falwell was rolling over in his grave. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you though. in that one, because, um, I, I lived in Roanoke for, um, for about two years and like not far from where Liberty University is at all. And I remember going on campus one time just to kind of look around and see the whole thing. And I was shocked at the way things were. I was like, oh, it's a religious college. And the mindset and attitude was not what I expected. And my wife had to remind me, she's like, yeah, this is Jerry Falwell's place. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's what that is. Okay. And it, it, it kind of clicked for me. But yeah, like 
that, again, too, like accolades to you, like so many people get their their initial thoughts. They're like, this is what it is and nothing can change. And the fact that you're willing to adapt with that and learn further and continue to learn as as time goes on is, is definitely admirable. Um, Julie, were there any other questions that you had specifically before we get into the geeky nerdy side of things here? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, one more, because. I know that frequently the and this seems to be uh, true with people who have political aspirations and uh, you set your sights on a particular office and especially when you have uh, made at least one unsuccessful attempt, Mm -hmm. then when you actually get in. Um, in what ways uh, were was the reality of being in the House of Delegates different from the desire to get there? I mean, even if just in terms of, oh, I thought I was going to be able to do this, and then it turned out this was a lot more difficult, or, you know, how, how did the reality uh, square up against uh, what you had sort of aspired to do? Yeah, so I think a lot of my colleagues who... Um, who had not been involved. Now, mind you, while this is my first term in the House of Delegates, this is actually my fourth year working for the General Assembly because I had been a chief of staff, I had been a staffer for the state Senate. Mm -hmm. So I had been there. And a lot of my colleagues found it to be a learning curve to understand how the General Assembly worked. I knew how it worked, but it was a rude awakening for me Mm -hmm. um, because I just thought that going in as a young, fresh face with all these great ideas in the new majority, that we were going to get a lot accomplished. And I was hit with reality that everybody doesn't think like you. And even if you're on the same team, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to agree with the way you want to get to where you're going. We may all agree at the end point, but we're not all going to agree on how we get there. Mm-hmm. So there were bills that I had a lot of community support behind that when we brought it up and we filed it, that actually one of the bills was never even given a hearing in committee. They mm-hmm. just let it die. Um, there were other bills that I said that I wasn't going to change my mind on. And after being talked to by leadership and other different people, I caved in. Um, and so what you find out is when you're in Richmond, and, and I hope that um, the people who are listening understand this when it comes time to reaching out to the delegates and senators, when we're in Richmond, it's a legit a bubble. It's not I represent Fredericksburg. It's not I represent Stafford. It's what happens in that bubble in Richmond. And so who you hear the loudest determines your actions. So if I only hear the loudest, my mm-hmm. colleagues who are with me. Mm-hmm. That's going to determine my actions. But if I hear the loudest, the constituents back from Fredericksburg about the issues they want me to vote on, <laughs> that determines my actions as well. Um, and so that was a rude awakening for me because and you also were going to receive emails and phone calls from people who don't live in your district. Mm-hmm. I get phone calls all the time from people in southwest Virginia or in Hampton Roads or in northern Virginia uh, that want me to vote on certain things that may impact them in a positive way, mm-hmm. but negatively affect the people in Stafford and Fredericksburg. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a time where I'm gonna to have to make the, the good choice that I have to make a decision for the entire state, not just for Fredericksburg and Stafford yeah. County. And so sometimes I have people in Fredericksburg and Stafford that are mad at me, but I'm still a state delegate that has to vote on how it's gonna make things better for everyone in the Commonwealth. Mm. 
And you know, what you have described is a real accurate representation of the difference between campaigning and governing. And a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, they get elected and they don't get it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. they're still out there campaigning. It's like, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. now your task, your charge is to govern. Can you? do that, you know? And, um, you know, I mean, I, I really, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I mean, I, what, what you say about taking, you know, certain issues where you have to take the entire state into consideration and mm-hmm. that's a heck of a thing. And not everybody can do that. I mean, some people make the more politically expedient choice and, uh, you know, again, thinking mm-hmm. you know, short-sightedly, uh, you yeah. know, and, and thinking about what they can potentially uh, defend to their constituents uh, mm-hmm. versus what they know is the best course for everybody. And that's, you know, a I want to, I want to pinpoint yeah. something, what you just said, the difference between campaigning and legislating. Another thing that was a rude awakening for me is for those people who've been in, in Richmond for a while, they can campaign, and there were people on the Republican side that campaigned against me that I'd never met in my life. And as soon as we got to Richmond, I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to see their faces, but we served on committees together. Yeah. And we had similar votes in favor of each other, and we had to work together. And so that was another learning curve, that when you're legislating, it's not the same as campaigning. There are people who are in next year when we're campaigning, there are going to be colleagues of mine that are on the other side of the aisle that are going to be tearing me down. (laughs) (laughs) And if I'm blessed to make it back in 2022, (laughs) we're going to still have to work together and serve on committees together. And I cannot hold those grudges. We still have a greater picture to vote for and fight for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that correction, by the way, because you're right. It's the difference between campaigning and legislating rather than yeah. campaigning and governing. That's a different yeah. office. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is one um, thing I forgot to bring up, and it's actually what initially had me reach out to you uh, via Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's Yuli has come down and visit. Yuli's uh, up, up in uh, D.C. and he's come down to visit Fredericksburg before. And we we always joke about it. Because it's such an uncomfortable thing, because it's such a visible stain on this area. But yeah. that the giant Confederate flag flying over 95, like I've mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research on this, and I, and I read the news articles, I read what actually happened, like that there was a petition at one point to try to take it down, but it, the zoning board basically shot them down before they even got to have any like any say whatsoever in yeah. all of this. And I understand that, yes, okay, it falls under the category of First Amendment right, like, you, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. You can do all of these things. But is there a line somewhere in there where it's like your freedom of expression no longer is valid when it's a giant hate symbol flying over an interstate? And yeah. is there is there anything that we can do? I see I see like right now there's a change.org petition that's got 1.5 million signatures already, and it just came out like a couple of days ago, trying to petition to do something about this flag. But is there anything that we can actually do? Yeah, so that's a good question, um, and I am still in the process of doing research. I know that because it's on private property, um, I'm not too sure of what we can do. Um, And and just so you all know, I I don't know the name of the organization, but it's an organization that buys plots of land just to put up these Confederate flags. Mm. And I know people don't travel this way often, but on Route 66, I think, is it 66 or 64, going from Richmond to Charlottesville? 64. It's a 64 going towards Charlottesville. There's one out there in Louisa County, too. 
and yeah. you can't miss it because it flies over all of 64, just like the one here. And so there's, a, there's an organization that buys plots of land just to erect huge Confederate flags all up and down major Virginia highways. Ah, Virginia Flaggers is the name of the organization. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so the biggest thing we're looking at now is what can we do? Um, before I uh, got on the call with you all, I just got off of Virginia Legislative Black Caucus call, and that was one of the topics. What can be done? Um, the local counties and cities can create a um, a height requirement for flagpoles, mm. um, but that could harm a lot of people, even though we're trying to get rid of one particular flag. Um, so we're taking a look at this at the legislative level to see what can be done in Virginia about that. Um, and we, you know, we've seen NASCAR and what they did with banning it. Um, we've seen school districts in banning it within their schools and yeah. within uh, their sports. Um, but you still have in Henrico County, I believe, or Chesterfield County, the Confederates. That's a school mascot. And you have black kids who play basketball, football, baseball every single year. Yeah. They have to wear on their back and their uniforms that they're Confederate. Yeah, or even like my home county where, where I grew up as a kid, uh, Prince William County, Stonewall mm -hmm. Jackson High School. They're just yep. now changing the name yep. of that. And like, and we're not talking about like some run of the mill, like, oh, he didn't really do anything. Like one of the cruelest, like most inhumane, like butchers of the Civil War has a yeah. high school named after him and nobody like blink, bats an eye. And it's that's what's the most insulting to me is that like these symbols of hate, this this divide in our country that was the most like traumatic thing that happened in the history of our country is is just like glossed over like it was no big deal. Oh, these guys are heroes. Oh, we need to commemorate them. No, they were traitors. And I, like, I wanna I wanna I pinpoint something exactly yeah. what you said that these are traitors. And because I'm amongst geeks I can do this. I'll never forget when the special edition of Star Wars came out in ninety seven. When the Empire fell and the new special edition version they did a pan of all of the planets in yeah. the Galactic yeah. Empire. Yeah. yeah, all the ones you'd seen <laughs> and every year. <laughs> and when they panned the planets, when it came to Coruscant, I noticed they pulled down a statue of the Emperor. <laughs> the Emperor, yeah. Emperor Palpatine, yeah. <laughs> and what people fail to realize when they're talking about these people aren't following law, they're pulling down statues or yada, 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 yada. At the fall of a regime or the destruction of an empire, you pull down everything that would seem to give honor and glorify the old powers. Yeah. And so you see a lot of people now that are pulling down statues. I'm a legislator and I'm going to tell you to follow the law. But I'm also going to let people know who are frustrated. You cannot mitigate and control people's pain yeah. because you don't know what it feels like to walk past a Confederate flag every day. No. If it's never been a problem for you or your ancestors, you don't know what it's like to drive up and down Jefferson Davis Highway every day if it wasn't a problem for you and your ancestors. And you'll never know what it's like to have to go home every single day in Confederate Ridge as a black person and still live there. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's it, it's it's awful. It, it really, truly is. Well, and, and especially when you consider the fact that the majority of these monuments were erected precisely Pastor. to yeah exactly and yes. the intention of intimidating yeah. the african-american community 
Yeah, 1920s is when. Or, yeah. yeah, is when they were yeah, put up. 1960s. Yeah. yeah, this was this was not a honoring con- Confederate mm-hmm. heroes. No, this was this <laughs> was a, a know your place sort of thing, that. and that's what makes it, it so egregious. Yeah, this was the case that you darkies need to know your place. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what people, and I think people don't realize that it's. This is why I talk about how education is a great equalizer. I'm a big history buff. So we know that a lot of these statues now, save the um, the Robert E. Lee statue on Monument Avenue in Richmond that was put up in the late 1800s. But many of these roads, like Jefferson Davis Highway, was renamed in 1922. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of these Confederate statues and school names were done in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s mm-hmm. when the civil rights movement was in its prime. Mm-hmm. And that's the last cries of racism to say, hey, we're going out. You may get a little bit of equality, but let's put up these statues. Let's rename some schools. Let's name some some roads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, create. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure on it, but like the concept of Lee Jackson Day being on the same day as Martin Luther King Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the fact that you know some the the miscegenation laws still on the books in Virginia. You know, in in the late 60s. You know, I mean, this is like, wait, what? <laughs> Good gracious. You know, it's it's the mind reels. The mind yeah, reels yeah. at at how at, you know at how backward the state of excuse me the yeah. Commonwealth of Virginia uh, yeah. you know, was with we we had a I I don't even remember what year it was my God um it was either last year or 2018 but where it was just like Virginia was just getting piled on because there was the the incident with our governor and his past and what he chose to put on his face that he shouldn't have and. It was just like thing after thing after thing was coming out, and it was just like, man, you really think Virginia is progressive, and then you see things like this. But like, yeah. it, it, we, the one thing I love about the state, it's my home state. I've, I've lived here for the majority of my life, with the exception of military service. And like, every time something bad like that happens, we turn around and we show that like we are moving in the right direction, and that there are people that are trying to make a difference. And it's, it's it's a it's a point of pride for me to see that Virginia is going in the right direction. I feel now it, like it really it was a little worrisome there for a minute, but I feel yeah. like we're we're back on the right track. <laughs> you know, I always as I've been talking with community leaders and the elected officials, especially in the city of Fredericksburg, uh, for me from a spiritual perspective, what's happening right now has had to happen in Virginia yeah. and in the city of Fredericksburg yeah. because of our history. Come on, we were the capital of the Confederacy. And so we cannot just continue to sweep under the rug, you know, the different things that have happened here in Virginia. Yeah. We have to address it head on. We have to deal with it. So that way we don't have to repeat the cycle again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if we are able to surmount this, it's going to be because of the courage and the leadership of state leaders like yourself. You know, um, you know, this this is. If this truly is a uh, watershed moment for us, uh, one of the things that we're going to have to look at and consider is what side of history we want to be on. And that yes. can be very uncomfortable. You know, I mean, I'm I'm 57 years old. And, you know, so I came up in a time where that, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of intolerance uh, mm-hmm. You know, particularly in terms of sexual orientation. And, uh, you know, I, I had some ideas about some of that stuff myself. But ultimately, mm-hmm. you know what? I had to I had to ask myself, it's like, do you want to be on the right side or the wrong side of history? Because this mm-hmm. isn't going to persist. And 
if you understand that you don't want to be on the wrong side, then you have to recognize people's humanity and that yeah. there is so much more that unites us than the relatively minute things that tend to divide us. And if we concentrate more on those things that unite us rather than concentrate on the things that divide us, that's going to be part of what gets us there. You know? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, but again, I, I, I applaud you because, uh, you know, not everybody – and this is why you have to seek political office, you know, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure there were moments where you were like, what in the hell am I doing? And yet you persisted and, you know, and you do the job. And I'm sure there are days where you're like, damn, I, I asked for this, didn't I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, you, you're right on it. <laughs> Josh, I, I wanted to thank you so much for being such a good sport with answering these these political questions. Um, and as a thank you, uh, let's get into the nerdy and geeky stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do it. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned you're you're a big Marvel fan. Um, mm -hmm. Do you do you have a favorite Marvel superhero? All right. So when people ask me this, I kind of shy away because I don't want to feel like the typical black guy. But I have two Marvel favorite figures, <laughs> and. The first one is Storm, without hesitation. I'm a huge X-Men fan. Yeah. I love Storm. She was one of my favorite superheroes, as far as I can remember, as back as four years old. And then, of course, my next favorite character has to be the Black Panther. And my uncle got me hip on the Black Panther when I was a kid. And at first, I thought it was a funny-looking Batman comic when he had it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I discovered who the Black Panther was uh, when I was in elementary school. Um, and I remember finding out that they were working on, I remember the first time they were talking about a Black Panther movie, Wesley Snipes was being tapped to do it. Yeah. And this was early in the 2000s, about the same time he was doing um, Blade. Yeah. Um, and so I got excited for that. Nothing ever happened with that. And then when the MCU came out, they talked about the Black Panther again. And I was super excited. And I was like, oh, man, they're making a Black Panther movie. And my friend's like, who? Who's that? <laughs> oh, the worst. <laughs> and some people who are history buffs, because I told you I'm a history buff, are like, oh, yeah, they're doing a Black Panther movie. We're going to learn about that in the center. It's like, no, 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 no. The superhero. <laughs> <laughs> and the superhero actually predates the Black Panther Party by a couple of months. He does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, and and the I mean the power couple too because in the comics they're married. Yes, so like, absolutely. Yeah, like the the original like Jay Z Beyonce team up like it was mm -hmm. T'Chaka and uh, Aurora Monroe. So, Aurora Monroe, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so big MCU fan. Um. I'm taking it. I mean, do you, I mean, is it safe to assume that, the, that Black Panther is your favorite of the MCU movies, or do you have another one that's like really like top on all of those? Black Panther is one of my favorite. Uh, another close favorite. Uh, is between Thor Ragnarok yeah. and actually, surprisingly, Doctor Strange. When Doctor Strange first came out, I did not like it at all. <laughs> Why not? But the more, I, I just, I don't know. I just didn't like it. But um, over time, I really, really love it. And those three, Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Doctor Strange, are MCU movies that I can watch over and over and over again and never get tired of them now. Yeah. 
I, I, I just started doing an MCU rewatch because, you know, mm-hmm. I have nothing but free time now because of quarantine. <laughs> um, and I felt the same way about Doctor that Strange. Story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way about Doctor Strange. But like uh, Black Panther, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. It was good. Mm-hmm. But like the second time I watched it, it was way more emotionally moving than I remember it being the first time. Like yes. when he basically has to he like goes to his father when he's talking about Killmonger and he's like, Dad, you guys effed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that it, was incredible. Can can I just put a, that a, just a, that's how I feel right now. Yeah. With everything that's going on, um, you know, I my grandmother has dementia, so there's not much I can really talk about what happened back then. But I kind of feel like some of our leaders, you know, our black leaders, they got happy with positions and they got happy with handouts back in Ooh. the '60s and the '70s, and they didn't finish the job. Yeah. And I don't want to discredit their work because they did great work. They're still great icons in American history, but we still have a long ways to go. And so I kind of feel like T'Challa in the spirit world talking to T'Chaka. Hey, hey. <laughs> I, I get it, too, because like we were talking about the Civil War earlier. I'm a, I'm a huge history buff myself. We were talking about the Civil War. And one of the things that frustrates me the most about the Civil War is like, yeah, of course, the, the Union won and Reconstruction was was basically just like a slap in the face to all that they had fought for and and like nothing really came of it it was like to bring the country back together we'll just let them do whatever the heck they were doing before and and there's no more slavery but it's now slavery under a different name it it just it was i i I totally understand that that did feel like a betrayal um Mm -hmm. i also want you made a star wars reference which again you know close near and dear close to my heart um how have you felt about the newer star wars movies this might actually be the hardest question I ask you. Like, <laughs> so, okay. So just me personally, yeah, I enjoy them, but I want to say this: when The Force Awakens came out, I was very critical of the movie, and I stated that it did not feel like Star Wars to me, even though it was a rehashed version of A New Hope. And all of my friends like ganged up on me and they're like, what do you mean it doesn't feel like Star Wars? It's the best remake we've had and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, y'all. And then after the rest, you know, uh, uh, The Last Skywalker and all the rest of these came out, all my friends do not like these movies now. (laughs) (laughs) You were the trendsetter, basically. And I was like, y'all, I I try to tell y'all, I try to tell (laughs) y'all. Well, you know, it's funny, though, because uh, The Force Awakens, as you point out, was incredibly derivative. But they started going off on uh, on a new path with uh, The Last uh, Skywalker, with uh, The Last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. And I think that's part of what fans reacted to. I mean, they would have they would have liked it if there was a little more derivativeness, you know, from some of these other later films. Yeah, it literally was like this is too derivative, and then the second, and then Last Jedi comes out, eh, it's too original. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker comes out, and they're like, eh, it was too derivative, and it was too uh, original. Like we didn't really like any of it. So it, yeah, you you can't you can't please all the people yeah. all the time. I think what <laughs> happened like is politics. If, <laughs> if right, right. <laughs> yeah. I think what happened is if we had had stayed consistent, you know, J.J. Abrams had did The Force Awakens, and then Ryan Johnson came in, and from my understanding, you know, I, I didn't follow everything like I normally would have with the other movies. Movies. Um, but Ryan Johnson came in and kind of like just redid everything. I was like, I want my own vision for this. And I think that's what set it down on a rocky path. Um, and so um, when the last uh, Skywalker came, or excuse me, the, the rise of Skywalker came, J.J. Um, J. Abrams had to put everything back together. <laughs> 
Mm. Remember all that uh, stuff Ryan Johnson did in the last movie? Yeah, yeah. Don't pay attention to that. I'm doing something right. different. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of what threw us all for a loop. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I know there's plans to do another trilogy um, that's supposed to be set before during the um, the old uh, the old Republic. And so I'm interested with that. Uh, I can say I am thoroughly impressed with The Mandalorian, and I loved mm. The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait for season two to come out, especially since we're going to get Ahsoka Tano in it. <laughs> we're going to get Boba Fett. But not only that, um, the guy who was the star of uh, one of my favorite TV shows, Justified, uh, Timothy Oliphant, is going to show up in season two. Oh, I didn't know Timothy Oliphant was going to be in yeah. season two. I'm um, a fan. Okay. I'm super stoked about that. So, yeah, <laughs> really, really good. When, when you are not just legislating your face off, like what are you what are you watching right now? Like on on TV, on Netflix, on on Hulu, Disney Plus. Like what like what's your go to right now? So I haven't honestly for the past two three weeks I have not watched any TV, and um, I'm kind of upset. But <laughs> <laughs> but my go to um, actually on Disney Plus I've been running to the '90s version of X Men nice. um, mm. and Gargoyles. So yeah. I love that they're on there. Um, on Netflix, I just finished up Lock and Key um, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I thought that was okay. Um, there was another TV show. Now, I'm not so much a DC fan, um, but I've really been enjoying Black Lightning, and none of my friends like it. They think it's too corny and it's too cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually like it. I like Black Lightning. I think good things are going to come to Black Lightning now that uh, it's a shared universe. Instead of him oh, being yeah. in a different Earth from the yeah. Flash, they're all in the same Earth now, and I think that's going to be an amazing thing. Because I definitely, I definitely like jumped out of my couch when they like when they dapped each other up in the uh, crossover <laughs> event. I was so excited. So, about that. I'm still trying to find the crossover episodes. I just saw because I'm catching up on on yep. on Netflix. So I saw them when they're teleported into the next uh, universe, the next dimension. And then it just brings you right back to the show. I was like, oh, wait, I, I have to find where this is. <laughs> I can't remember what the order is at this point, but I'm sure we can find it. <laughs> um, one of the hey, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. No, I, I, I just wanted to ask, because you, you um, Joshua, you said that you really love the X-Men. And I'm trying to figure out where your point of entry was. Do you remember the first issue of the X-Men that you read? The first issue? So I... I didn't read a comic. It was actually the book version of the giant size X-Men on um, the island. I can't remember the name of the island. Oh, uh, yeah, Krak, uh, Krak, uh, Krakow. Yeah. Krakoa, yeah. So it was the book version. They had like a kid's book version. Yeah. That was, it reinterpreted from the comics. And so that's where I first came in. Um, and for me, of course, being a 90s baby, my life was based on the cartoon series. <laughs> yeah. um, and I always would try to read. My uncle always had comics and he used to live in our basement when I was growing up. And so he always had X-Men comics and Avengers comics and Captain America. And me being a kid, I just went in and read, would read what he had. Um, and I never fully embrace the reading of the physical comics. I always just read stuff online and would read the book versions. Um, and so I definitely remember the Age of Apocalypse series um, and the uh, um, Tales of Future Past series, but I all read them in book t in, in the book format, not in a comic format. Okay. Hey, that's still legit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there with the, with the X-Men, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. 
So you're you're a local dude, and I appreciate that because I'll, most of the people that are involved with the podcast are not here. I'm the sole Fredericksburg resident of all of our <laughs> podcasting people, so I can ask you some Fredericksburg-specific questions. I'm so excited about this. Okay. Yes. So if you had – like just, it, I don't need one. You can give me as many as you like, but like your, your favorite go-to restaurants when it comes to like, man, I really want to go get something to eat. Like what's, what's your, like your, your go-to place in Fredericksburg or staff? So if, we're, if we're talking about being local, yep. because I believe in being local. Yes, sir. One of my favorite restaurants is, uh, it's relatively new. It's called Pimenta in downtown Fredericksburg. The Jamaican joint. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I love, so, I love Jamaican food. Yes. Yeah. So everyone kept telling me about this restaurant and I never visited. And so last year while we were campaigning, Beto O'Rourke actually came to campaign for me. Oh, nice. And so we were like, we need a happening place to go. And I told my campaign manager, I said, let's put a black restaurant on the map. So we found Pimenta. Pimenta was downtown. We went there. It was packed to capacity. And after the event was over, I was like, well, I'm going to get some lunch here. And I got lunch and I fell in love with it. Uh, So when I have friends that come in from out of town or people who want to know a good place to go, I take them to Pimenta. Um, We also had Legume that used to be downtown. It's closed now. Um, But it was like a, a very... Uh, I don't even know how you want to describe it, like vegan or green type of restaurant. Yeah. And they were great. I really, really missed them. Uh, but there's another restaurant, and I'm sorry, shout out to the Black-owned restaurants. I'm sorry. Well, I got to <laughs> do that. There's another restaurant in Massaponics called Orleans Bistro. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're hitting on my favorite thing, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I have to tell you about Orleans Bistro. So again, when they opened up, it used to be the Mad Crab. They opened up, and I, I wasn't a fan of the Mad Crab. So when they opened up, I was like, mm, this place isn't going to be there long. Mm, this place is probably not that great. Yeah. And uh, someone from my church told me that I needed to go. I'm a food connoisseur. So I went. And my favorite thing to get there is their macaroni and cheese, their baked macaroni and cheese. The first time I tasted it, I immediately called my mom and I was like, hey, in my life, you have always had the best macaroni and cheese. I just want to let you know, you have a runner up now. There's someone (laughs) who's running up really, really close behind you. So it took my mom two years to get to the restaurant with me. Yeah. She ate the macaroni and cheese and she was like, "Hmm, yeah, you're right. They are pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It just makes it makes me feel good that the restaurants that you're bringing up are places I've actually been. So like that makes me that makes me happy when I'm not like out of the way here. So o- overall, overall, like one of the one of the things we love asking guests is we love knowing their music tastes because we're we're all big music heads here. We we love music in general. Like, what are you listening to right now? What are you like? What's your favorite type of music or like your favorite band or your favorite musician? Uh, just off the top of your head, like some of the ones that you really, really love. So I have a very eclectic style of music. And so if you're riding in my car, you're probably going to hear a little bit of Jacob Collier. You're going to hear Kurt Franklin. You're going to hear Ty Tribbett. You're going to hear um, Black Mill. You're going to hear, uh, uh, I don't know, like Drake. I don't like Beyonce. But her Lion King album, The Gift, is on constant replay uh, (laughs) because I just love that album. Childish Gambino, uh, you're going to hear a very mixed breed of music when you're in my car. (laughs) 
that's always a good thing. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> most most of us too. We're always we're, we're big on on a, a wide smattering of uh, of different musical tastes for sure. Yeah. Uh, Delegate Cole, let me thank you <laughs> very much for your time. Thank Josh. you. I, I thank really you. seriously like this was awesome. I know you're a busy dude, so the fact that you carved out an hour of your your day to to speak to us is fantastic. Um, give yourself a plug here. You know, like if, if folks want to know like what you're up to, if they want to know like how to follow you, like how to reach out to you, if they're one of your constituents, like give us kind of the details here. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. I love getting out and just having uh, conversations with people so they know where my heart is and, and, and who I am. Uh, so if you want to follow me on social media, all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you can find me at jcole, the number four VA. Um, and on Twitter, it's just at Joshua Cole. Um, our website is www.jgcole.org. There you can sign up for our newsletter. You can reach out to us there. Um, you can see some of the happenings and our press release that we put out regarding whatever's going on. Um, our Facebook, I also use for information just to release what's going on. Uh, but if you want a more local, you know, a more my voice and how I feel about stuff, you probably want to follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I just did. I, I don't know how I missed it. I had you on Facebook for sure, but I never did on Twitter. Now I'm, now I'm there for sure. And if anyone has any requests as it relates to uh, help with DMV, help with the roads, ideas for legislation, I'll lay out our um, our official contact information. It's, it's just Dell J. Cole. That's D-E-L-J-C-O-L-E at house dot virginia spelled out dot gov so dell j cole at house dot virginia dot gov you can send us an official email there and reach out even if you're just having issues and you don't know who to contact reach out to us and we can try to direct you in the right way awesome fantastic again uh guys this has been delegate joshua cole check him out on social media uh, josh this was awesome thank you so much for your time we we really do appreciate it and like i can't wait till we can actually like you know non-socially distance meet each other because that would be yes. super exciting <laughs> i'm or looking forward be. to it as well yes maybe at the jamaican place hey there you yes. go there you go meet up at pimenta that'll be good <laughs> Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!